Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. I am your host, Jay Gannon, and today we've got a really special guest, Tim Winkler. Tim is the president and CEO of VIP Tires and Service and has a wealth of expertise in the automotive aftermarket, and I'm thrilled to be able to pick his brain today. The primary focus of today's discussion is going to be around changing the perception of your shop. Tim's got a lot of experience over the last decade of being able to kind of change the perception of a shop amongst technicians to make it a more attractive place to come work. Tim, how are you doing today? Doing really well, Jay. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm genuinely excited about our conversation here because I, I truly uh, hold what you guys do out there in great regard. I think you guys have an amazing layout. I was looking at your new hire packet earlier this week. It's just really, really good. Very top-notch operation. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm excited to be here. Good. So uh, to get started, I want to talk to you a little bit about who you are at VIP Tires and Service. Can you give us a little background on the company, how many stores you've got, and, and just in general, get us a grasp of who you guys are? Sure, absolutely. So uh, VIP Tires and Service. So we operate 59 shops throughout northern New England, headquartered in Auburn, Maine. Company was actually started in 1956 in Lewiston, Maine, and originally as sort of a high-performance parts chain. So it grew over the years, and John Quirk is the owner. He bought the company 19 years ago. And for many years, we operated as VIP Parts Tires and Service, and, and we operated both the retail auto parts side of the business as well as the tire and service shop, uh, all under one big roof. And uh, so about seven years ago, uh, we sold off the auto parts retail division of the company to O'Reilly. So O'Reilly is now a tenant in most of our facilities, and they run their auto parts retail operation. And and we're focused on just trying to be the best in the tire and service business. So uh, that's what we've been doing for seven years now. And to your point, the perception of the company has changed dramatically over those years. So, uh, you know, I have the pleasure to, to serve about 500 employees. We have just about 40 people in what we call our store support center, which is all of our administrative folks and and everything. And then we have a field leadership team of about 12 guys. And uh, and outside of that, we have a service manager at every shop. And you know, our average team is seven to 10 people in every shop. And and our our mission as a company is to earn a customer for life. And that's how we try to make all of our decisions is within that prism. That's uh, that's amazing. I mean, that's that's a uh, that's a decent size operation, isn't it? That's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your background. How did you end up at VIP? And I mean, did you grow up in the business, or how, what led you to uh, to this point? So thanks for asking, Jay. I I'm actually an engineer by trade. Uh, graduated from the University of Oklahoma with an engineering degree, and and just happened to get a job out of college at a Wix filter factory. So uh, I started off as an engineer helping to design air filters and and equipment to build filters, uh, which was obviously in the auto parts side of the business. And for seven years, that was back when Wix Filters was a division of Dana Corporation, which was a very large auto parts company. So uh, after that, I spent about 10 years at another auto parts company that was a remanufacturer of starters and alternators. 
and uh, that one got acquired by Delco Remy. If everyone's familiar with, you know, the AC Delco brand and yeah. Delco Remy was a division of General Motors way back in the day when all the car manufacturers used to have all their own parts divisions that they owned. And, and Delco Remy got spun off in the early 90s. And, and in uh, 2005, Delco Remy purchased the uh, private, privately held company that, that I was working at in the auto parts business. So one thing led to another, basically VIP tires and service, which was VIP parts tires and service at the time, they were a customer of ours. Mm -hmm. And I had ended up as the vice president of sales for that company for Delco Remy. And I had come up to Maine several times to meet with the team here at VIP as one of our key accounts and got to know the owner, got to know their merchandising team. And uh, one thing led to another and I was recruited to join VIP in 2010, 10 years ago. So we packed up, you know, my wife, four dogs or three dogs, four kids. (laughs) And uh, we moved 1,800 miles away from Oklahoma to Maine and and haven't looked back. We've loved every minute of it. And over the years, you know, we've been able to, as I mentioned, we sold off the parts division. So my auto parts background uh, really got me into VIP. And since then, our focus has really been more around just becoming the best at, uh, at the whole tires and service business. Wow, that's a that's a pretty that's a diverse background. I mean that that is really really cool. And how how do you like the service business as compared to the parts business? And I know I, I've had a little experience in both, or a lot of experience in both, but my experience is far more on the service side than the the parts side. But do you, there's a lot of parallels there too, right? There's a lot of things that kind of work together, and and to understand one side of the business, I believe, really helps the other side of the business, right? It does. It does. And, you know, um, there's a lot of parallels. There's a lot of, of synergies. And, you know, you obviously have to have knowledge in, in, uh, about the entire vehicle to be really great in the service business. Uh, a, a couple things that, that I've taken away from it, which is really interesting, is, you know, back in the, in the parts business, when you start talking about consumer-facing businesses, right, so an auto parts retailer, ultimately that's really more of an inventory supply chain business, right? And, mm-hmm. and I worked in manufacturing. It's about who can come out with parts the fastest, who can have the best inventories. And then ultimately, if it's a part that's really popular and everybody's stocking it, it ultimately comes down to then, okay, quality and price. Who's got the least expensive part out there? or Who's got the highest quality part? I want to make sure that the part I'm putting on, you know, I never have to do that job again. So that it, it really, in today's world, it becomes down to a supply chain business. And, and that's one of the reasons why at VIP here, we finally had to had to realize that, you know, with 56 locations at the time, we weren't going to be able to compete with these massive companies, O'Reilly, AutoZone, Advance, Napa, who all have 5,000 plus locations. And so, right. uh, you know, w- what I love about the service business is that it's all about our people. And yeah. I have to say, I, I mentioned that I started my career at Wix Filters, which was part of Dana Corporation. Back in the 70s and 80s, just before I joined Dana, they were one of the leaders, they were one of the thought leaders in the HR world. And they, as a corporation, they really, really invested in their people. They had a goal of you know, 40 hours of classroom training for every single employee. Their slogan that was on the side of every tractor trailer was people finding a better way. And so the focus was really on their people and the focus was on improvement. And I have to say that, you know, seven years ago, 
after we sold off the parts business and we wake up one day and we say, okay, now we've got to go become the best at tires and service and specifically around that service component. It's a people business. We, you know, what we really focus on is how do we invest in our people and how do we help our people become the best they can be? How do we provide career pathing and all the things you do to make it a great company to work for? And ultimately, the way we kind of sum it up is in any market, whoever has the best people wins in the service business. And, I, love, uh, I love that. You I, know, I, so, yeah. <laughs> Well, I think it's it's they were far ahead of their time then as far as that investment of people and and I still don't know that we fully grasp that across the industry yet of personally feel like there's a lot of companies that will say that they do it but I will attest to what I've seen from VIP Tires and Service is you guys truly do it. I, I've been really, really impressed with everything that you guys put out and just how intentional that growth is or those growth paths are. I think we could all learn a lot from what you guys are putting together up there. So I, I, I think you guys are doing an outstanding job. Well, thank you, Jay. I, I, I do have to say that, you know, the key for me and the key to our leadership team and I think the reason why you can see how it's all really come together is that uh, it all really started at, seven years ago with an annual process of doing an employee survey and then having employee meetings every year. So for seven years now, every January, you know, January, February, and March is our slowest time of the year up here in, in New England. It's the, the tire season's over. The spring driving season hasn't kicked in yet. Mm -hmm. And it's our slowest time of the year from a business and from a, a traffic standpoint. So what we do is we take advantage of that. Every January, we run a, an employee survey and we try to really get to those topics that are most important to our people who are taking care of our customers every day. And then we spend the month of February, there's five of us on the leadership team, and we set up meetings all across our geography from the northern tip of Maine down to Boston and, and out to Vermont. And we spend four weeks, we typically hold 30 to 40 meetings and roughly 15 to 20 employees in each meeting. And these meetings are three to four hours a piece. And we cover the results of the employee survey. But more importantly, we open it up for discussion. And we really just have an open conversation about the business, about the company. We want to know what employees like. We want to know even more importantly, what don't you like about working here? And every year we then at the end of those meetings, we go to work on the most common things that we see as as improvement points. And what can we do to help VIP be a better company for our customers and for our employees? And, you know, it's literally a, an extremely long list of the things that we've done over these years. But I'll give you a, an example from year one. Year one, we were challenging some of our technicians who had been with us for you know, eight, 10 years, and we're really great technicians. And we were having conversations, you know, hey, Johnny, why, why don't you have any ASC certifications? You're a great technician. Mm -hmm. You know, you should, you should be certified as a master tech. And finally, one of the guys kind of, you know, had a little bit of an attitude, which I love him for it. He says, well, what's in it for me? <laughs> and, uh, you know, as a leadership team, we all kind of looked at each other like, well, geez, you know, I mean, you know, you get to wear a patch and all this. But what he was saying was, why are you as a company not putting something there for me so that if I go and do these things, you clearly are going to benefit? Yeah. And and what are you going to build for me in terms of, you know, compensation plans and a career path and what's the payoff for me? And and we started running into all kinds of barriers when we started asking that question. Well, we had young kids. Hey, I want to become a master tech someday, but you know what? I don't have the money to go pay for a test. And if I fail, you're not going to reimburse me. 
because yeah. our old our old policy was the same as many people. We would reimburse those if they passed a test. So you know what we did literally as one of the big ideas that first year, seven years ago is we took one of our people here in the office and as part of her job is she manages the ASC account for every single employee at VIP. She schedules every ASC exam. We get all the study guides that all of our employees need at every store, and we pay upfront for every single test, and we pay for it over and over, pass or fail. And we've gone from spending three or four thousand dollars a year in ASC reimbursements to spending almost a hundred thousand dollars a year on ASC certifications and the exams for our people. And there's no better investment we could make in our people than doing that. And and Jay, I only use that one example because every year we have a list of things like that that we come away with. And so what you're seeing today and where we are today is really a culmination of all of these ideas that have come from the people who who are technicians every day who are taking care of our customers. I'm honestly blown away by that program. I I think that is the coolest thing uh, that you guys are doing that and being very, you're stepping up to the plate and you're really helping them. And it's not a us versus you type thing. It's let's work together and solve this. I just can't tell you how much I love that. I think that's the neatest. Now, it it wasn't always that way, right? Uh, Or there was some level of VIP tires and service was correct me if I'm wrong, but more of maybe tire focused than, than service focused. Maybe walk me through that a little bit. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point, Jay. And you're exactly right. So I'm mentioned it briefly at the beginning of our conversation, but the company really was founded on a uh, more of an auto parts and a really cheap tires business. And in fact, the service business, what you would call, you know, parts and labor, the actual automotive mechanical service business for the prior owners many years ago, it was something they almost avoided. They really did not want to invest in that part of the business. And so VIP from the mid fifties until really, uh, you know, the mid 2000s was viewed and, and the old name of the company was VIP Discount Auto Center. Mm. And for 35 years, 40 years, the company went by D- VIP Discount Auto Center. And if you wanted the cheapest Chinese tools, or if you wanted four tires for 99 bucks, VIP was your place to go for many, many years. Mm. And really good, high quality technicians who know their stuff avoided VIP like the plague. And, you know, it wasn't until our owner, John Quirk, bought the company in 2001, and he's a third generation in the tire business, tire and service business. His grandfather started in, in uh, just outside of Boston in Watertown, Massachusetts in 1926. Hmm. And John's company has always been about service. And so he saw in VIP a company that had a really great infrastructure. They had great locations. They knew the tire business really well, but the service um, was not really a part of their DNA. And that's what he felt like he could bring to the company when he bought it in 2001. And so it's been, you know, 19 years now that it's been a slow progress. The, the, the progress really ramped up, uh, like I said, seven years ago when we were able to sell off the auto parts business, because that's just a different, you know, it's different selling parts to do-it-yourselfers than it is to uh, take someone's keys and say, we're going to take care of your car and, and we're going to educate you about how it's running and, and what it may need. And, and we're going to be the ones you can trust to be here for you. And that's just a very different type of business to run versus just selling selling parts. And so, yeah, many for many, many years, the perception of VIP was a place that if you were a high quality technician, you would not go to work at a VIP location. And for seven years now, we've really been changing that perception. We've been investing in our people. 
you know, I don't know what other companies do in terms of industry certifications or the training programs, but I can tell you that everything we do is is in the effort of outspending and outdeveloping our people better than anyone else in the industry can do. And so little by little, that perception, you know, we've been trying to break it down. And, you know, we've got a digital marketing manager who spends every day online and really trying to get that message out. We highlight our technicians. We do all these things to really try to show who we are today. But as you know, in in the world of consumer behavior and consumer mindsets, it's not something that you can advertise and change perceptions immediately. It's something that really takes a long time and it it almost takes a one-on-one encounter with each and every person for them to really see that it's a different business than maybe that they might have experienced or their father might have experienced, you know, 20 years ago. So what, what was the kind of the driver to, to make that change and, and go to more of a service-oriented business than, than tires? Because being in the tire business can be a highly profitable business and can be good. Was it, was it more the shift of the quality of people that you're trying to get in the door or just in general uh, looking at the business, wanting to be more involved with just servicing vehicles in general? So Jay, great question. I guess to clarify, we actually continue to grow our tire business. Mm. So we we never really abandoned the tire side of the business. What we did was we said, we believe we can continue to be good at the tire business. And in fact, there's a lot of people in the tire business and a lot of facts around the tire business today that make it a very different business than it was 20 years ago. You've got TPMS, you've got all the different sizing, you've got high performance vehicles, tires today, are, are much more complicated than than what they were 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. So as a company, you know, we, we have never tried to work away from the tire business, but what we've done is we've said we can become sort of the one stop for anything the vehicle needs. So that's why we're focused on customers for life. We want a customer to think of VIP and even more so think of that person, you know, Shane or Johnny or Jimmy. They we want a personal relationship between every customer and somebody in in who's running one of our stores or one of our technicians. And and so for us it's not been about abandoning the tire business. It's been about becoming really great at the mechanical service business while continuing to be really great at the tire business. And you know, it really fits great as well into our people processes and our career pathing because oftentimes when a kid's young and you know wants to become a professional technician there's more to it than you know just studying books or or whatever you know they got to go get hands-on experience yeah. and oftentimes what we can do is is help someone come into the business at an entry level learn the tires learn the oil changes learn the uh you know those types of jobs and work next to a master technician and you know as an example we have an internal mentoring training program where we pay our master technicians to actually become a mentor for one of the younger technicians in the shop and and we allow that master technician to develop a training plan with that younger technician and so we see the tire business and the service business really being complementary with each other and you know we think the better we get at the service business it actually helps us become better at the tire business as well i i really really like that and and i think the career path is is something that not enough shops lay out all the greatest. I think you guys uh, do that better than about anybody. Uh, that That is a, a, a very high compliment to you and to what you've been able to do. Now, do, do you still 
fight the stigma that you are a tire shop only? Or so when, say you go to talk to a, a technician and uh, say it's an ASC master level technician, is there still maybe a stigma there that, okay, why would I go work for this tire shop? Or are you starting to see that change? Because the, the benefits and everything that you offer, I will say from, we, we see a, a wide variety of shops are competitive, if not better than anybody else out there. Do you see them getting that message now, uh, getting through and, and understanding that there's you know, this is more than a tire shop. This is, we, we take pride in our people and we invest in them. Are, are you able to get to land your message with them? I would say we're getting a lot better at it. And that perception is absolutely changing. You know, if I just look at the people we've been able to attract to our company over the last few years, many of them, and they would tell you if they were sitting next to me, you know, they've told me that, you know, in the past, there's no way they would have come to work at VIP, but, uh, but they love it here. So yes, uh, but are there still some who have that perception? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the balances that we have to strike as well is when it comes down to messaging to consumers. You know, we still spend a great deal of our advertising efforts around the tire business. And because it's such a competitive business, because it is a price-driven business, people typically are going to shop for tires where they believe they're getting the best deal. The same exact consumer who says, well, I take my vehicle to my mechanic when there's a problem will potentially take their vehicle to a big box store for tires because they just think of tires differently than they think of the person who takes care of my vehicle. Yeah. And so when it comes down to changing perceptions in the consumer's mind, we still have a little bit of that, that uh, we, we get in our own way a little bit, I guess, because we still do advertise around tires quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And for every technician out there who's working at a dealership or working at some other place, you know, they're seeing our TV commercials and they're seeing us talk about tires. And so absolutely, I'm sure there are still plenty of technicians who think of us as a tire shop first. But, you know, we've moved our revenue mix, which used to be about 80% tires, 20% mechanical service. We're now 60% mechanical service, 40% tires. Wow. And, and, and that's without, that's without our tire business declining. That is simply with a 10 year growth pattern by growing our parts and labor, by growing our, our mechanical service business. And we've just been able to focus on it and our growth rates in that mechanical service business have been unbelievable. And, and that's really been the result of being so focused on becoming really good at it and attracting the right kind of talent to the company. So today there's a lot more people who know who VIP is and, and how we invest in our people and, and it allows us to attract some really high caliber technicians to the company these days. That and the word of mouth that goes along with that goes a long, long way too. I mean, being able to hear, it's just like any type of advertising, right? If, if somebody you trust says something really good about a company, you probably look at it in a different light than just straight up advertising. So I think that's a, that's a great strategy. Are there any other types of strategies that you, you use or that you're using to try and get your message out to technicians in terms of being able to, to focus? I know you mentioned that some of maybe the advertising is revolves around a technician or even having technicians talk to customers where a lot of other shops might try to hide a technician rather than have them talk directly yeah. to a customer. Is there anything that you have had success with in terms of being able to land your message or that you are maybe just trying to get that, that perception, uh, that, that kind of paradigm shift in place with the technicians over and above kind of some of the stuff we've talked about already? 
we do several things that to try to help get that message out. I mean, one of the things we do have, I mentioned that most much of our consumer advertising is around the tire piece, but we have we've run several campaigns where we have actually highlighted a master mechanic, if you will, and it actually shows the television commercials show a customer being escorted out into our shop and being sort of walked under a vehicle with one of our technicians. You know, that's part of our process when a customer comes in is we want every customer to meet their technician. We want every customer in our shop, pair of safety glasses on, you know, and and being escorted under the vehicle so that our technicians can educate them about their vehicle. You know, the other thing that many of our district managers have found very effective or is the whole social media engagement, right? So we have this digital marketing manager. She helps us in the world of, of social and our and our guys have found different forums where technicians in different parts of regions that we operate in, you know, may tend to uh, have an interest. So as an example, one of our District managers took over the area that's in far northern Maine and uh, ended up, he's a big snowmobiler, so he joins a social media club of snowmobilers up in northern Maine, and suddenly he's networking with guys who are professional technicians, and but they're talking about snowmobiling. And now all of a sudden he's into a conversation about, you know, what he does for VIP. And so we, we have, you know, a lot of little grassroots strategies and tactics that we have for our guys to sort of get that message out. Mm -hmm. But, you know, overall, I would say that there's really no one good effective way to to get that message out in in, in a real public way. It really comes down to engaging with someone one-on-one somewhere and having that conversation. And and that's why we're just always looking for uh, how do we help our leadership team and how do we help our operators get into conversations with technicians, guys who are working at other shops right now or at dealerships right now who uh, may not know the VIP story and who we can at least tell that story to and start to become part of their consideration set uh, if they'd like to advance their career. And, and, and there's so many things that we offer to master technicians that, that we're really proud of and we think we have a great story to tell. One of the th- I think this really stems from leadership's commitment from your, your standpoint to technician recruitment in general, right? Is from what I understand and know about VIP tires and service is that you as a leadership team are very focused on it and not passive about it whatsoever. You guys are very hands-on and very much a part of trying to help get those people in the door. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. We are. And and even more so, you know, we're about creating a culture where technicians thrive and technicians really enjoy what they do. So, you know, that comes down to not only the ASC certification programs I talked about earlier, but, you know, we have an annual Master Technician Summit where we bring all of the master technicians and even guys who are close to being coming master technicians maybe aren't quite there yet. This past year, we had our third annual master technician summit in January where we had 80 guys in a big hotel ballroom and we brought in professional technician trainers from Standard Motor Products, from Garage Gurus, which is part of Drive now. We brought in guys from uh, Autel, ScanTool. We've had guys from Mac Tools and Snap-on and, and other companies in the past. And it becomes not only a, a day of training, it becomes a day of networking. You know, when you're part of a company with 59 locations and 500 employees and 50 plus master technicians, it's really great to build a network because, you know, you may be 
a master technician who spent 20 years at a, at a GM dealership, but you might be sitting at a table with a guy who spent 15 years at an Audi or a Volkswagen dealership. And so now you're starting to build a network within the VIP culture of who you can call if you, because we're all makes all model, right? So yeah. any vehicle can come in any day. And, you know, we want our guys to feel like they can pick up the phone or shoot a text to their buddy and say, hey, I've got this Volkswagen in here and it's it's doing this funny thing. Did you ever run into that back when you worked at the Volkswagen dealership? So, you know, we, we do that event every summer. We have another technician training event, which is all classroom training. And then I'm really excited this year we've signed up with Garage Gurus to do uh, about 12 days worth of hands-on and classroom training. They've got a mobile training center that uh, big tractor trailer that they can park in a parking lot and deliver training both uh, on vehicles on lifts as well as classroom and these are really really professional master technician trainers who we're partnered with this year and we're going to be doing that across the summertime at several of our locations so once again just another example of how not only on the recruiting end not on the front end of the process but really where where I'm passionate about is what are we doing on a daily weekly monthly yearly basis to uh to make sure that that working at VIP becomes something that uh, that those technicians just love. The fact that they can come in, they know they're going to be productive, they know they're going to work for a great leader, and they know that the company's going to invest in them. Yeah, and that the ability to network amongst technicians, I feel like that is incredibly underrated because that I, most people in sales and management positions have that opportunity all the time. Technicians don't get that very often. And and being able to pick the brain of a, a European specialist that has that insight and technical ability is gigantic. I mean, just uh, the resources there can't compliment you enough on. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, it's been a great strength. And, and that's what you know we try to do is play to our strengths and try to create different ways to help our people help each other. So one one thing I wanted to touch on before we're, we're finished off here is I wanted to circle back to uh, the surveys that you mentioned, because really at the core of it, it sounds like that's that's been a big piece of the changes that you've made and kind of the adjustments to to really drive that change in general. Do you feel like you're getting good candid responses from technicians? And sometimes in my experience with managing technicians, I could either, it was really almost a fight or flight approach at times where they would tell you everything or they would tell you nothing. And you're <laughs> trying yeah. to get kind of some, some equal balance in between there. Do, do you see kind of any struggle in that? Or do you have kind of a system where you're able to get kind of that good candid feedback? Well, you know, Jay, it's a really great insight. And and you're right. You know, I believe we do get really great feedback and candid. First of all, the survey every year is anonymous. We don't ask for names. We don't ask for even the location you work at or the position you have. So the, the survey itself is truly anonymous. The second thing that I, I got to tell you, when I meet with other leaders in our business and I tell them this, they think I'm not. But the second thing is, as part of that meeting, when we meet with every single employee in groups, we hand them a big packet. And that packet includes every comment that every employee 
gave in the survey, good, bad, or indifferent. And I'll give you an example. Year one, when we did this, uh, and I got to tell you, year one was, you know, it was not easy reading a lot of the survey comments yeah. seven years ago, eight years ago, because, you know, we, we weren't the company then that we are today. And, and we weren't necessarily a great company yet for a technician to work at. And But, you know, what we do is we're totally transparent about the process. And we do share every single, the only the only edits we make, and, and I use it as a kind of a joke every year when I talk about the survey edits, I say the only edits we make is sometimes we have to replace a U and a C with asterisks if there's an F and a K in the word, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and other than that, everything's unedited in this, in this survey. But I'll give you an example. The first year we did this, we, we would point out to them because we have many open-ended questions, you know, what would you do to improve training at VIP? What would you do to improve the leader, to help the leadership team improve at VIP? What would, you know, and, and we let people type out their answers. So this is pages and pages and pages of comments that people have provided on the survey. And in first year, seven years ago, one of the questions was, you know, what is your suggestion to improve VIP? And the, one of the responses was mass suicide by senior leadership. Oh, yeah. And you know what we did? We didn't hide from it. We pointed it out to everybody. We said, hey, look, here's what somebody thinks. Somebody, you know, somebody thinks every one of us should, uh, you know, put a gun to our head. I can tell you that's one of the ideas we're probably not going to implement, you know. <laughs> but for those of you who actually gave us other suggestions, let's talk about those, right? And yeah. so what we try to do is, is sometimes with a little bit of humor, what we try to do is really show our employees how transparent the process is. And then we sit in these groups. And even more so, what we learned a few years into the process, Jay, was we used to do it all as one big group. And we would all be sitting, all 15 or 20 of us, in sort of a big, you could imagine like a big uh, tables in front of us. And everybody's kind of in a big rectangle or whatever. Yeah. Uh, what, we, what we realized was we'll get better conversations and better suggestions if we split up into separate tables with four or five people at each table. So now what we do is we set the tables up in the room so that I may sit at a table with three or four or five guys, five technicians from different stores, and our vice president of stores sits at a different table, and our owner sits at a different table, and our director of HR sits at a different table. And each of us sort of becomes the facilitator of the discussion at that table. But in smaller groups, people are much more likely to speak up. And they've also... You know, we've told stories after story of, of when a technician has, you know, been very vocal about something they didn't like. And sometimes, you know, not even very nice about it. And that's okay. And we've never gotten our feelings hurt. We don't get defensive. We listen. And that's the big key is making sure people know that we're here to listen. And if we do a good job of listening and you do a good job of telling us how you really feel, we're going to work together to make improvements. And that's hopefully the message that we get across to everybody. That's an amazing message to have. Now, when you first get the survey results back, do you meet as a leadership team or the, like maybe the executive team to, to go through them uh, first? Or is it everybody sees them at the same time? Or maybe walk me through that process a little bit. Sure. Yeah. The executive team does get a view of the survey comments and the survey results ahead of time, mainly because we have to sort of assemble it into a book and then we get that all of those pages printed. We print out an agenda of the meeting and, and if there's any, been any major program changes or new policies or new programs, we'll put all that into a book and we get those all spiral bound so that when you come into the meeting as an employee, you've got an actual, you know, 60, 70 page book spiral bound in front of you. Everybody does. And so we're reviewing the survey ahead of time. I got to tell you, with so much feedback, though, we don't 
even try to make any kind of decisions about what the survey feedback is telling us ahead of time until we get in front of people and start talking about it. And so we really don't start processing and trying to prioritize or make decisions or take actions on it until not only have we gone through the survey, but we've met with every employee and then we get into sort of, you know, the, the next phase of the process is, okay, what are the big things that are the most common? You know, in some years, it's benefits related. A couple of years ago, you know, it was, why don't you, why doesn't the company match our 401k contributions? So mm-hmm. guess what? Two years ago, we put in place a 401k company match. This year, we amped it up you know, to a higher level. A few years ago, one of the big common things was we had a lot of people out sick and the company, even though we have a pretty generous vacation policy and and other paid time off benefits, we didn't have a specific sick time benefit. So what did we do? We put a sick time benefit in place. So, you know, every year we kind of wait for the meetings themselves to happen and we all take lots of notes in those meetings. And then it becomes a project of, okay, let's review all the survey results. Let's review the notes from the meetings themselves. And then let's see what are the things that some of them are really small and we can go act on immediately. And then other things are bigger and it's going to take us a little bit of time and and we may have to look at it and say, okay, what's it going to cost us to do this? And can we afford to do it? Is the is the company's financial performance improving enough that we can spend a few hundred thousand dollars to improve this benefit? You know, uh, yeah. so all of that goes into our conversations, and honestly, that's all part of our transparency process as well. Is you know, we that one year we talked about sick pay. Somebody said, well, I think everybody should get you know a full week of sick pay, and we said, well, okay, uh, you know, I appreciate that your perspective. You know, we spend roughly four hundred thousand dollars a week on payroll. So if we just decide tomorrow to give everybody a week of sick pay, that's going to be a four hundred thousand dollar expense. We may not be able to do it all at once. But I can tell you that we'll work towards that. And maybe if we go incrementally, we can get there. Well, and having the open-mindedness of even having that conversation in the first place is, I think, desired in our industry in general. I, I think a lot of times that there might be there's hesitation from a technician standpoint to even approach upper leadership on having that conversation. So I applaud you for doing that. Uh, I, I just think that is the neatest. Now, last thing for you is say you compile all of the survey results and maybe more from a personal standpoint, how do you work toward not getting defensive over it? Or how do you work toward, you know, I think that's something for me that I could certainly improve on because as business leaders, I feel like we all want, we all want to run a good business and we want people to like working for us. And, and when you hear some of that tough feedback, it's probably warranted and it's hard to stomach, but at the same time, how do you dissect it enough to where you can really dive in and, and get some productive stuff done out of it? Once again, great question. It's probably the biggest challenge in the process is not becoming defensive. And I got to tell you, the first few years we did it, I think there was, it was oftentimes that we did come across as as defensive, you know, because someone, a technician might be bringing up a, a topic that we've thought through and we've already landed on our, you know, decision maybe even years ago. And there's a certain reason we do it a certain way. And we know what that reason is, and we've thought it through. But for this person, they maybe they're new to VIP. Maybe that it was done differently at a different company, and they look at our process and say, "Well, I don't understand why we do this," or "I think we should do something something else." And they 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 put something out there, and oftentimes it is difficult not to immediately go to, "Well, here's why we do it our way." 
right? And that can come across as being defensive. It's taken us going through this over and over and over again to really be pretty good about not being defensive about it. And our job isn't on the spot to defend or try to justify what we do. Our job at that point in time is to listen. And now if somebody asks the question, hey, why do you do this? Or why is VIP's process this certain thing? Then obviously that becomes an open discussion for, well, this is why we do what we do. And here's maybe a a perspective. You know, one of the things that that I always try to remind our team, our executive team of, of as we go into these meetings is, remember that the idea here is, for us as a leadership team to get a better understanding of how our employees are, are feeling and, and, and how they're thinking about things. But it's also an opportunity for those employees who are open-minded and, and it's typically those who have been with us. You know, Our average tenure is five to six years in our stores right now and it's growing every year because our turnover is down significantly. So those people who've been through this process over and over, they actually come into these meetings with also a much more open mind because they know that if they ask a question and they really don't see things the same way we see it, we're going to have a discussion about it and we may share with them, here's how we see it and here's why we've made that decision. And it might for them say, oh, you know what? I never thought about it that way. Or we may do the opposite. We may say, you know what? That's a great question. When we put out this new program, we didn't think about it from that perspective. And there have been many examples where we've gone back and made changes to programs or made changes to policies just based on the feedback that we did get from that, those employees who gave us a different perspective that we hadn't considered in the past. So it's really on both sides. It's from the, from the technicians themselves as well as from us as leaders. It's just, and it doesn't happen overnight. I got to tell you, it takes years and it takes doing these things over and over. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of reminding each other to stay open-minded, to have to be a good listener. The other thing I would just throw out there is that has really helped this process is one of the things we do in these meetings every year is we also list out all of the actions we took from the last year's process. So we close the loop, if you will, right? So last year, of all the survey comments and of all the discussions we had, these are what we took away as the top five or six things. And of those five top five or six things that our employees told us that, that we needed to improve on, here's exactly the actions that we took. Here's the solutions we put in place. Here's the improved benefit we put in place. Or here's the new program. Or here's the new investment we made. And so we list those out and we point those out to them every year. We're not, you know, we're not ashamed to say, hey, look, we want to take credit for what we did because more importantly, we want you to know we're listening this year. And next year, we plan to be in the same room talking about this year's list again and and talking about what actions we took based on this year's feedback. So that's part of the process is showing our employees that we listened and we took action. Tim, I cannot tell you how much I've, I've learned during this podcast. And I, I think I've got a lot more to learn from you, my friend. <laughs> I, 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 I genuinely thank you for, for taking time out of your schedule to do this podcast. And it, this is genuinely one I, I feel like I'm going to probably listen to myself and, and take some more notes out of because I, I just, I genuinely, uh, I got a lot out of this conversation. I, I really appreciate you and what your company does for the industry and really, really look forward to following you along here. Well, Jay, I, I appreciate the opportunity and, and the invitation to join you here. And man, I love talking shop. So anytime uh, you want to have a further conversation about it or, or uh, we can trade some more stories about uh, running the business, uh, I'd love to do it.
Oh, anytime, Tim. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you.